0: In today's homily, I want to speak about the, the first main part of the Mass, the Liturgy of the Word. As we know, the second main part of the Mass is the Liturgy of the Eucharist. The Liturgy of the Word concludes with the petitions, and then the Liturgy of the Eucharist begins with, with the altar being set up for um, for Mass. The Liturgy of the Word, of course, immediately follows the, the beginning rites, the penitential rite, the gloria, the collect. And then we all sit down and we listen to the words from Sacred Scripture. We hear the words directly from the Bible. There are four readings that we hear. The first one is almost always from the Old Testament, with the exception of the Easter season when it's from Acts of the Apostles. The second reading is a psalm, or a song. 2,500 years old is the the most recent of them. Some are even 3,000 years old. Beautiful, beautiful um, songs that we've sung for ages. Prayers that people have prayed prayers that Jesus grew up praying. So we, we say that prayer, the psalm. Then it's followed by a second reading. The second reading is from the New Testament, from one of the letters of Paul or from one of the letters of, of other of the apostles or disciples. Also, there's it could be from the book of Revelation. Then we sing Alleluia. It's a Hebrew word. It means praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We all stand up because the gospel's going to be read. The good news, the the very life of Christ is going to be read. Someone important, it's like somebody important has come into the room, and we all stand for him. When When I was down in St. Louis back in the year 2000, we had just brought my oldest sister, Michelle, there to the first convent that she was at, the Carmelite Convent. We came as a family to drop her off, and we were there in the guest section of the convent. We were all there in the, in the room, and at some point, the mother superior came on in. Dad stood up, Mom stood up, you know, a number of other siblings stood up, and I, I just stayed sitting there on the couch. And at some point, Dad turned over to me and said, Stand up, the mother superior is here. From that moment on, I realized that, that when somebody important comes into the room, you just stand up. We kind of naturally do this. Dad and mom have been gone for a long time, or you know, some person that we know have been gone. They come knocking on the door. What do we do? We stand up. Or if we're even someone else brings them on in, you know, and what do we do? We stand up and we give them a hug, or we shake their hand, or we say hello in some sense. We we naturally do that out of respect, out of honor. During the mass, when the gospels read, we stand up. We stand up for Christ because we're going to hear his very words very soon. This morning we heard the story, you know, of the two, two people coming, as I mentioned, at the beginning of Mass. You know, this guy who thinks he's going to, he comes before God. I don't need God's help. I'm like just amazing. I'm not like all those other bad people out there. Not even like this tax collector. And of course, he doesn't receive any grace because he's not open to God's grace. He goes away really in a worse shape than when he arrived. And then there's the tax collector who comes humbly before God, recognizing his need for help recognizing that he's a sinner, that he's messed up, and that it's only through God's grace that he can do better. The very words of Jesus, we hear them, we stand up for them. When I was in Williston, uh, every Tuesday morning I was involved in an ecumenical prayer group. There were It was just pastors, so there were a number of pastors who would come. We had at most 12, the minimum usually was about 4, Lutheran pastors of different Lutheran denominations, Baptist pastor, Church of the Nazarene, there were some non-denominational pastors. I was the only Catholic priest that was coming. Father Kovash usually had the morning mass, so he was unable to come. Anyway, we would for the first four or for the first half hour, we would we would just talk about what's going on in the world, and the next half hour we would pray for the people of Williston, for the people of our churches, for the people of, of the world any situations that have come forward, we'd pray for these people. There was one pastor. He was involved with Youth for Christ. His name is Dennis. I don't know what Youth for Christ is like across other, other schools, but in Wilson, it was very good. I think thanks in part to what, the, what Dennis was doing and then as well as his co-worker, Adam. I don't know if you're familiar with Youth for Christ. What they do is they come to, to public campuses, public schools, and and they bring the gospel message into the school so they might have different events going on they'll have different different after school events to really bring the faith into the school many times those who were most open to it were were those who had broken families they their parents you know were who knows where you know, there usually had been a divorce in the family, or the parents had never gotten married, and little Johnny or Susie just really had no one to really care for him to pass on the faith. And Youth for Christ would, would do that. If a person claimed to be Lutheran, they'd bring him to the Lutheran Church. They claimed to be Baptist, the Baptist Church. If they were Catholic, they'd bring him to the Catholic Church. So Dennis was able to see a number of the churches there in Williston. At some point, he said to me as we were having lunch together, he said, Joseph, you Catholics have more scripture in your services than most Protestant churches. He had always thought that Catholics were not Bible believers. I wanted to, of course, make a snarky remark, you know, in return saying something like, well, we're the ones that compiled the Bible after all. But I held my tongue and I I didn't, didn't say that. An excellent man, excellent pastor, the whole Mass is so scriptural. It's it's amazing. When we start studying the Mass, like we hear these phrases that we're very familiar with, We just say them you know, off, off our tongue, out of our mouth, and we don't really pay attention. It's so much scripture. So, so if somebody ever says to you that Catholics don't believe in the Bible, tell them two things. Tell them that we're the ones that compiled the Bible, and secondly, ask them if they've ever come to Mass. The Mass is full of the Bible couple of examples. Right before Holy Communion, you'll hear the priest say, as he holds up the sacred hosts, behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Those are the words of St. John the Baptist as Jesus was about to approach the Jordan to be baptized. And then everyone responds with these words, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. They're the words of the centurion who came to Jesus asking if Jesus could heal his son. Saying, I'm not worthy, Jesus, to have you come into my house. We say those words right before we receive Holy Communion because none of us are worthy to receive the God of the universe. The Mass is full of scripture. Last week's second reading said this. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for refutation, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that one who belongs to God may be, com- may be competent, equipped for every good work. In, the, in the, the cycle B from the previous Sunday, it said this, Indeed, the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword Penetrating even between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to discern reflections and thoughts of the heart. Speaking about what, what the Bible does for us, some people say, and it's, this is true, that the Bible is God's love letter to us. It's, it's God telling us how much He loves us and how much He cares for us. That we come to know the love of God through reading the scriptures. Saint Jerome said that ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. For those of you who have received, you know, letters from family members, when you read the letter, especially if it's someone that you, you love, when you read the letter it's like it just means so much to you. We don't really write letters like that anymore. Usually it's through text, it's through, you know, email or whatever. But for those of you who are older, you you really know what I mean. If you received a, a love letter from your spouse, you know, or even when they were your fiance or boyfriend or girlfriend. It means a lot. That's what the Bible is like for us. It's God speaking his love for us. You know, I grew up on a farm. We, we milked cows. There being 10 kids, of course, that and mom made the choice that we we're going to milk cows because they didn't want to buy you know, gallons of milk every week. So we usually had one to three milk cows after my older brothers left home. My younger brother, Anthony, and I became the, the cow milkers. You get to know the cows really well, and at some point you know they became pets, and we would name them one cow. She was a brown Swiss jersey cross. We named her Birdie after um, the Three Stooges movies. We had been watching them for quite a bit, and we, Birdie was the Three Stooges' sister in this particular episode. So we named her Birdie. She had a calf. The, the bull had been um, Angus. So it was a black calf. Anthony and I decided, rather than taking the milk machine and milking the cow morning and evening, and then taking some of the milk that we milked from the cow and feed it in a bottle to the calf, why not just milk the cow in the morning with the milk machine, give the calf some the milk, and then the even just let the calf nurse. It, it worked well, because if we happened to be gone for some reason, it, it just was much easier. But most often, we would separate the calf from the cow during the night and during the day. One particular morning, we came in to milk the cow. And we, we named the calf Jed. So Jed comes on in. He comes on in, and we noticed that he's limping. We're like, well, what's happening with Jed? We noticed this big gash on his hoof, his hind leg. And we, we looked at it. It was no longer bleeding. And we thought, well, I wonder what happened. He likely cut himself on the tin of the, the, the shelter belt or the, uh, the windbreak along the corral. But we kind of just left it at that. We were just, you know, young boys. We didn't exactly know what to do. And as time went on, he was was still limping. He'd come on in. Two weeks later, Dad shows up at the barn as he would usually do to make sure that we're doing our our chores correctly. He comes in and he notices that Jed has has a sore leg, and it's swelled up at this point. It swelled up really big, and he says, "Well, what happened to the calf?" we said, well, a couple weeks ago he, he had a, an owie there. He must have cut himself on the tin outside. And, and Dad said, well, we better do something about that. So he went, he gave him a shot of something, some sort or another. And then he took a knife as, as Jed was nursing, and he, he cut the hoof open. We couldn't do it without him nursing because I'm going to be grosser, by the way we couldn't do without him nursing because he would run away and he, of course, would fight and we weren't going to tie him up. It was just easy to have him nurse and then we dad could cut the leg open. So he cut it open and all this just ooey, like the grossest pus that you can imagine came out. Super, super gross. A lot of it. And then he put ointment in there of, of different sorts. And then he showed us how to do it. that in the coming, in the following days, we would do the same to keep it bandaged up and to keep it clean. There were a couple other times I had to cut it open again, and we could only do it while he was nursing. After about six months, his leg was healed, and he was back to normal. He hardly had a limp to him anymore. I tell this story because it's a glimpse of the Bible. This this verse that I just read a moment ago, it says, The word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating between soul and spirit joints and marrow and able to discern reflections and thoughts of the heart. When we know that God loves us and when we listen to the scriptures attentively we read the Bible with an open heart knowing God's love for us what happens is God does this spiritual surgery on us he cleans out the The pus, the junk, the the sin in our lives, which is going to kill us if we don't, if it's not treated. And he takes it out. He heals us. But he only can do that if we know his love for us. When we're focused on something greater, the pain isn't as bad. But if I do not realize God's love for me, if we do not realize God's love for us, when we hear these tough sayings from Jesus, we we push back, we run away. We don't want God to do anything because it hurts. It hurts. But when we're focused on his love, on his care, his providential fatherhood, then it's much easier. It still hurts, though, but not near as bad. And he's able to purify our hearts, to bring us close to him. God won't tie us up. He's not going to force the the surgery on us. He's not going to tie us up. He's going to only do it when we bring ourselves to him out of love. Then he's able to work great things in our hearts. Oftentimes, though, we're afraid, we're, we're scared that he's going to hurt us. And it, it sometimes hurts a bit, it does. But it's not to, to ruin us, it's, it's to heal us. That we might walk okay, that we might have hearts that draw close to him. That's the liturgy of the word, folks. That's the liturgy of the word. We come to Mass, we listen attentively. It's amazing what God can do to us. We bring our struggles, our problems, our blessings, and we bring them before Jesus. Hearing the Scriptures, hearing God say things like this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. You will find rest for yourselves. God wants to give us peace, joy, He's not trying to steal something from us. He's trying to take the pus out. But of course, he shows us his love, his care. Immediately after the scripture reads, after the homily, we then go into the creed. The creed, the word creed comes from two Latin words, cor dare, which later became credo, and then we say creed in English. Cor is the Spanish or core is the Latin word for heart. The Spanish word for heart is corazon. Think of someone who has cardiac arrest. The word cardiac comes from the Latin word core, referring to the heart. Dare means to give. In Latin, when one says credo or corre, it means I give my heart. When we recite the creed on Sundays, we we translate it into I believe, but to believe means. This is what I give my heart to. I give my heart to one God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. I give my heart to Jesus. So after we've heard these scripture readings, we say, this is what I give my heart to. I give my heart to the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Where does life come from? From God mostly through the Holy Spirit, first in baptism and confirmation, but even at every Mass as we receive Holy Communion. And then, if you notice, the fourth time we say, I believe. So we say, I believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, of course. The fourth time we say, I believe in, in the Creed is, I believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. It's fourth place. If we do not Understand the love of God, if we do not understand God's care for us and love Him in return, when it comes to the church, we're not going to understand the church. If we grew up hearing all these rules that the church has for us and we do not experience God's love, very likely we're going to leave the church. Very likely we're going to leave the church. Because we don't understand the church. We don't understand that God's love for us, he created the church, he established the church. The apostles told them to take care of the the church, all the assembly of believers. It's kind of like sports. You know, anybody who's played any of the sports games, you know, from basketball to football to, to baseball, you know, volleyball, you know, whatever it is, if someone loves the game, the rules aren't that bad. But if someone does not like the game, why do I got to dribble the ball every so often as I'm running? Why can't I just carry the ball across? Or someone playing golf, you know what? The person that loves to play golf, you know, he he wants to know all the rules of how to put, uh, how to put the body, the arm in this position, the back in this, the knees here. But if he doesn't like golf, why all the rules? Why all the rules? When we know that God loves us and we love him in return, the Bible is able to do great things to us. We begin to love the church. We begin to love those whom God loves, recognizing that every member of the church, from the pope to the person who is about to be baptized, everyone's a sinner, everyone's broken. We need God. So at this Mass, let's let's pray for the grace of receiving God's love, that we might have open hearts, that we might know His love. Some of you have never experienced God's love. Others have never experienced God's love for a long, long time. At this Mass, as the altar is prepared, the offertory is taking place, the consecration as we receive Holy Communion. Pray for that grace. Beg God every Sunday, every day, beg Him for His love. He wants us to know Him.